0: of karma but just the action that has created the ripples of of goodness of light in this world from the vibration from which it was created when we try to unite to that vibration then that karma becomes our karma isn't that just such an amazing way to see what and how important our discipleship becomes that not only are we working on ourselves and we're trying to, you know, get that energy up and we're learning and our understandings are being refined, but everything that the gurus have done, imagine everything that this lineage has done. If I attune myself, if we attune ourselves to that state of consciousness, that karma becomes ours. I mean, imagine how much it accelerates the process that we're doing. So it was just fascinating. So, to see that, all action has a reaction in this world, so to speak. But when there's no sense of I, there's nothing for that karma to attach itself to. And in the case of the saints, it then gets transferred to those disciples. Not just because you're a disciple in name, not just because there's photographs in your house of some saint, but because you actively are trying to unite your consciousness with theirs. And then what they have done becomes yours anyway fascinating amazing awesome because we need every a bit of support that we can get in this process but a very uplifting thought for disciples everywhere no matter what your path is <clears throat> then finally in ch- verse 24 we end with the concept where krishna says eventually you get to the point where you realize all life is but a yagya, is an offering of yourself. Where then you realize that both he who offers is God, is spirit. He who receives is God, is spirit. The fire into which you're offering is God in spirit. The act of offering itself is God in spirit. However, the saint or that liberated ego, that liberated soul, awakens to the reality that everything is just this My entire life and the purpose of life becomes that offering of self. And so Krishna then continues to share with us the different ways these offerings can be made, the different ways we can look at what offering is in our own lives, also based on our own temperament. But of course, he's never saying this or this. He's just saying all are these different moments that you can think about. How can I offer myself more fully? into this great fire of spirit. So verse 25 goes, some yogis there are who make sacrifices to the devas or deities. Others see sacrifice or yagya as an offering of the self into the cosmic fire of spirit. So here first he's telling us two distinctions. Some yogis make offerings make those sacrifices to the devas now there are two layers of devas here one is say talking about seeing god in form so when we talk about all the devas we've been we're celebrating still Ganesh Chaturthi of course we've got Krishna here in form so is that when we take the cosmic spirit that unfathomable formless reality and we give it a clear direction, whether in the form of our Guru, Krishna, Ganesh, Lakshmi, we create a more personal relationship. So some can be a personal offering of yourself. But also here the Devas, remember we talked about the Devas in several previous classes, as them representing the highest vibration of also the world and what the world is going to offer us. So we were talking about success, we we're talking about abundance like Lakshmi represents that highest vibration of abundance and prosperity. Saraswati or even Ganesh represent that highest vibration of wisdom. And so you go and you can see that you can create a relationship with the Devas also then. So if I'm seeking success, I have to offer to that highest vibration of success. What does a successful man offer? his time his attention his energy his thoughts we've gone through examples like this before a pro athlete what is he thinking he's thinking about how he can better himself he's thinking about the next time what he's going to do to you know beat that record that he's created he's when he's putting his energy out it's into okay how can i stay fit how can i stay aware he's reading things so his entire life When we're talking about sacrifice here, sacrifice doesn't mean like, oh, I have to sacrifice myself. Sacrifice, the idea behind sacrifice is offering into something at the expense of something else. So rather than being lazy, the pro athlete is active. Rather than being, you know, indifferent, the the lover of God is, you know, grateful and always embracing. So you've got all these realities of where is my energy going to go? One, it can go into a more form-based, a personal relationship. Or, he says, others see yagya as the offering of the self into the cosmic fire of spirit. Or you can relate to God as that omnipresent, omnipotent energy. And then you feel yourself offering into that space as well. Then he says, other spiritual seekers offer their inner power of hearing, and of their other senses into the fire of self-control. Still others offer whatever they hear or experience through their senses into the fire of higher understanding. Now he's given us two other ways to work with the sense perceptions. One he is saying, spiritual seekers offer their inner power, so the ability of hearing and their other senses into the fire of self-control. Now, one way to create this sacrifice, this self-offering is, is to control what I receive, what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, what I'm feeling. Because the world can offer us all sorts of things. The news offers us all sorts of things. Television offers us all sorts of things. People in our lives offer us all sorts of things. So there's an aspect of the yogic path Which the sacrifice here, the offering of yourself here, implies the control of the information you receive through your senses. That's one way. On the other flip side, Krishna says, still others offer whatever they hear or experience through their senses into the fire of higher understanding. So one way is to stop certain influences in your life. The other is whatever you receive. So I'm seeing this also. This also I lift up and say, God, because all is Brahman. Not to say we might be strong enough to receive this all this negative energy and say, God, this negative is also you. Because of course, at our level of vibration, perhaps that negative energy is going to affect us not so well. But however, that's how the yogis can function. Stop certain influences and if the influence does come lift it up and offer it to a higher understanding what are the higher understandings god why did this circumstance come to me why is there so much negativity around me right now why am i constantly being um, you know kind of tested in this particular way why are certain kind of people always in my life so that's how you lift up whatever these senses are able to perceive if you're not able to stop because we're not always able to stop things the environment around us is not always under our control. So he's giving us these two ways. Either control as much as you're able to, the environment and your influences. Or if you're not able to control your environment and influences, whatever it does come, offer it up to a higher awareness, a higher understanding, a greater wisdom. And that becomes the self-offering of the seeker. Then he says... 27 others by discrimination offer up their sense activities and the energy within those activities in the fires of self control now here of course then he it sounds similar so he continues to say they ask themselves who is seeing who is hearing whose energy is activating the experience of these sensations this is the way of the Jnana yogi because here he he puts in others by discrimination discrimination is the separating of truth from falsehood and so as i am eating i can see there is a part of me that's eating and experiencing whatever that sensation of eating is but there's another part of me who can separate itself and say ah I am eating, or somebody is enjoying this particular experience. Within us, both these, you can say, possibilities exist. When we unite these possibilities, then it becomes, I, the ego, am eating. I, the ego, am enjoying this. I, the ego, is unhappy. I, the ego, am experiencing great depression. I, the ego. So that's when we're so completely... Um, identified by our sense perceptions. Krishna is saying one other form of offering yourself is through discrimination by separating yourself from the experience. Ah, who is eating? Who is perceiving the experience of the food? Who is perceiving this anger? Who is experiencing this great joy? This is where our Hongso technique comes in as well, doesn't it? or watching the breath until we realize that the breath is a reality unto itself separate from what our consciousness is, which is watching the breath. This is the witness, you can say syndrome to become a witness to whatever passes through us rather than identifying with that experience, with that sense activity. And so when we're do practicing our Hong saw, We get to the point, until we realize that we don't exist because of the breath, that both realities exist simultaneously. The breath exists, but the sense of I exists kind of unrelated to the breath. But when we're not thinking about that, when we're just, this is my experience. This is my body. This is my breath. Then we're just completely in it and we're unable to separate What's me? What is the I? What is that infinite nature that has, you can say, inhabited this experience that I'm having? And then what is the experience itself? And so this way, the yogi begins to offer through the jnanic way, through wisdom, through discrimination, that understanding of who is, who am I, who's having this thought, who's speaking now, And little by little, we start to see the words, see the thoughts, and see our consciousness as seemingly separate. And that's when the fun begins, doesn't it? Some offer their possessions as oblations. So, our possessions. Now, see how Krishna is essentially going through everything that we identify with. This is what makes us us, right? He, he spoke before on in, in verse 23, clearly says, you know, you achieve liberation when ego attachment ceases. But what is ego attachment? He, ego is not a reality. Ego, the way Swami Kriyananda defines it, which I love because it's so simple, is just a bundle of self-definitions. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm this body, I'm a man, I'm Indian, Narayani is my wife, I live in Mumbai. I I'm don't de- like Dindi. I don't like Vindy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is my house, this is my... I mean, I don't even need to necessarily be extremely attached. Oh, this is my harmonium. You know, I'm not running around shouting to people, this is my harmonium. No, but you know, the harmonium's there and I know it's mine. And so everything around me, the people around me, my thoughts, my experiences, my senses, they are what create the the illusion of ego. It's not one thing, it's all the things. And when you think about the ego as a bundle of self-definitions, as layers of self-definition, you start thinking about the peeling of those layers. And so here Krishna is talking about how we peel those layers because what are those layers? Our sense perceptions are greatly our layers. So one, we can control them. So we don't add to that bundle of self-definitions. Or our our self-definitions are more in harmony with the eventual definition of spirit that we are trying to achieve. Which is also a definition because we don't know what spirit really is. We can make up all the words for it. And or when you do create these definitions, you can offer them up. Whatever the senses perceive, wherever that chitta gets intermingled with the ahankar that we spoke about and comes to us and says, this is my feeling, this is my joy, this is what does this. This this taste of bhindi I like or don't like. And the the layers of complexity it creates around who we think we are. I mean, nobody's thinking that bhindi defines us, right? But there it is. As one tiny layer of existence. And then you've got other ways is to separate yourself all together and see who's witnessing, who's observing, what's consciousness and what's the experience and are they the same? And then he says more simply, some offer up their possessions because our possessions very much define who we are. Others offer their actions. So you've got Jnana Yog, you've got Karma yoga possession those who are able to give their possessions there's a great bhakti in that because when you love someone then you give them things <laughs> so if you love god in whichever form then you offer them your life in the way you would offer your loved ones then your money becomes their money i mean at home it's not like okay Nariani, this is my salary and this is yours and this is the money my mom gave me <laughs> on my birthday I mean, it's just like it's just money that's come in because as long as there is bhakti, as long as there is devotion, there is no consciousness of separation, right? My possession versus yours. Of course, the blow dryer is Narayanis, <laughs> but she lets me use it sometimes. So you've got that reality when you start to think about God and the offering that you're giving to him is like, ah, all my possessions are yours, but not a mental construct, you see. If I go around and I ask a lot of devotees, do you believe that everything that you own has come to you from God? And of course! Yes! Well, are you willing to just offer it up to that, God Jane. right now? Um, no, not so much. I'd like to enjoy what God has given me a little longer. So you start to work on seeing how attached are you, how identified are you to your possessions. So some seekers offer possessions as part of this yagya. Others offer their actions. That's the Karma Yogi. Every action I do, Lord, is an offering to you. Others, and this is the yogic, inner yogic path, concentrate on withdrawing their energy by yoga meditation, offering it up as an oblation. So that's the other way now, is to take the life force, bring it in, bring it up, and offer that. Again, a very concrete way of offering, not a vague concept at all and still others holding strict strictly to the vow of self-restraint offer up all their thoughts to god practice introspection and seek wisdom through study of the scriptures so here krishna is just kind of giving us options and at each time different situations we can bring forth different options i can stop influences when I'm not able to stop then I give it up when I'm really getting caught up then I try to separate myself a little bit and see Who is this one who is experiencing when I'm unable to do that? Then I withdraw my life force and I offer it up and then if I can give something outwardly my possessions be it money Be it things if I can offer my actions in seva So Krishna is just kind of saying bye, there are no excuses. Here's this list of real, you know opportunities, but Every one of them must be seen in the context of offering. That becomes that final. That's what the saints come, the consciousness they come with. That is why when Yogananda is talking about building a work, he's not like, I have this work that I want to build, I have these things I want to do. He's like, I have come here on behalf of my father i have been assigned on behalf of babaji to do a work and i offer this work to him all my actions all my possessions all my thoughts how do i how do i practice yoga mm-hmm. if i'm not able to kind of create that unity through offering and this is the option the opportunity that awaits us all then here krishna very interestingly kind of throws in the science of Kriya Yoga. And he says, one practice of yoga, he's just like this one such practice offers the incoming breath or the prana into the outgoing breath or the apan and the apan into the prana, thereby through pranayama rendering breathing unnecessary. So here he's talking about a very specific practice. So first he just said more generically because all true yoga meditations have the fact that they concentrate on withdrawing their energy by yoga meditation and offering it up as an oblation. So first he's defining the yogic meditative path as generic. Any meditation you practice doesn't matter what your technique is as long as it facilitates the Withdrawing and interiorization of the life force and the lifting up of the life force and the concentrating of that life force as you offer it to the spiritual eye. And then he gives a very specific technique and this is the Kriya Yoga technique which is the incoming breath for those of you who practice Kriya this will of course make perfect sense to you the incoming breath of prana being offered into the outgoing breath the apan, and then the apan being offered back into the pran, thereby neutralizing both pran and apan, rendering breathing <laughs> unnecessary. Now let's talk about the breath a little, because the breath is very is pretty much the the dual movement of the world represented in our human body: inhalation, exhalation, constant always and the moment that dualistic movement ends our life ends so as long as duality is being expressed through us in the breath creation us in the manifested form exist the moment that duality ceases, we no longer exist in the manifested physical world we move up to the astral world and then there is an astral breath and so this is where kriya yoga comes in because this prana and apana is not the physical breath that krishna is talking about but the actual astral breath that flows in the ida and the pingala the upward breath which is the prana flowing in the ida which is this upward flow and this expansive joyful expression and then you've got the apan which is a downward flow which is a contractive inward flow that goes down and tends to be associated with somewhat lower depressive saddening energies so we've seen this we've talked about this several times in our own lives when you feel joyful you always inhale somebody gives you good news Oh, really? You will always inhale, you'll sit up, you'll stand up, whatever is happening, you will feel. If somebody's giving you great news, you'll jump up. Why? Because the energy wants to rise. And when somebody gives you bad news, you will always exhale, sigh, your spine will bend because the energy pulls you down. And if you have horrible news, you might even fall to the ground when you get devastating news. Boom. When kids are upset, boom, 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 they fall to the floor, they jump, and nah, nah, because all the energy is being pulled down. So this is a reality we're experiencing daily, every moment. And so this dualistic movement of the breath essentially keeps us trapped in happy, sad, good, bad, I like, I don't like, whatever. Outward expression, inward contraction. Joy, sadness. And so this is the game that is being played out. So when we talk about, when Krishna has been talking about all this while, learn to be even minded, learn to accept failure and success as one, whatever comes of itself, let it come. Now on one hand, we can try to do that outwardly. Okay, this is come. Okay, fine. I'll just, I'll hold myself. I won't react to it. But the reaction that karma is not this, it's here. It's in the spine. And so, you can try outwardly, and we must, to maintain self-control, to do your best not to get influenced by these forces, to offer up when these forces do enter into your being, good and bad, to understand that failure and uh, success are both parts of that same divine coin. But these are only mental constructs. Until and unless we've learned to neutralize that energy in the spine, It's going to be much harder. I'm not saying it's impossible. Great power is needed, but it's very much possible. But as you neutralize it outwardly, it's also naturally neutralizing inwardly. And as you neutralize it inwardly, it naturally also becomes easy to express that deep relaxation outwardly. So when we're practicing Kriya, and for those of you who are Kriya Yogis, to think about this very consciously when you do practice Kriya, how you move the energy up and down the spine is very is very particular. You want to feel the two entering into each other, neutralizing one another. And it doesn't have to render your outward breath unnecessary. The way Hong Sau easily does, takes us to a very near breathless state. But what we're trying to neutralize is the Pran and Apan, is that dualistic astral breath in the deep spine. And then the energy enters into the Shushumna, where in fact, breathing does become superfluous. As uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, when he was first in America and to in order to kind of demonstrate the efficacy of these teachings. He would sometimes go and, you know, ask people to come and say, test that he's not breathing, then check his pulse. And in one hand, the pulse will be really fast. and the other hand, it will be slow simultaneously. Then he'll say, now I'm stopping my heart, you know? So he kind of played around a little bit with it just to kind of show us how it's not that the outward form of the heartbeat and of the breath is really that matters. It's what they represent in the flow of life force within us. And when we work with the life force directly, and that's why the yogic path, and here Krishna keeps saying, he is a yogi who does it this way. The other yogi does it this way. This seeker does it this way. He keeps reminding Arjuna that the practice is still the practice of yoga, both outward and inward, because it's a practice of unity. Unity here implies the neutralization because the pran and the apan unite into one another thereby cancelling out both dualistic movements thereby cancelling out success and failure as two seemingly opposite forces uniting them into one flow of just God's presence. And so it moves away from just a teaching understanding knowledge because you know God is everywhere but somehow that doesn't make (laughs) in your daily reality conform with that that's because knowledge is not the same as actual experience and that's where the yogic path comes in it creates the actual experience because it works with the life force which is anyway being indirectly affected by our outward actions, by our outward thoughts, by our outward emotions. The real work is still happening in here. The karmic seeds are in here. They're not out there. And so Krishna kind of gives that Kriya Yoga technique just as an understanding of this is one way you could neutralize your karma instantly. Okay. All right, let's do 30th, just because it it ends the concept of the self-offering. Some, regulating the flow of energy in the body by correct diet, offer all their energies into the fire of that upward flow. Now, he gives then another form, which is through what we consume in terms of food. Now, we talked previously about sattva. Rajas and Tamas. And the energies that they create in us. Tamasic energy is this lower pulling nature. Rajasic energy is these chakras right here. And then Sattvic energy is our upper two chakras. And so depending also on the vibration of the food we put into our body, that flow of energy is regulated as well. And so therefore it's not so much, you know, what your diet is that, oh, I can only eat this or I only eat this. It's more about, which vibration of the food are you attuned to? And more importantly, it's also how much does the this Manipur Chakra, because this is your digestive chakra, how much it has to work. Because the more the Manipur Chakra has to work, the more your digestion has to work. The heavier foods you put in, the more carbs you put in, the more sugar you put in, the energy that is expended to break them down is far greater. And so all that energy rather than moving up has to move down here to keep this fire going rather than this fire going. And so how we eat and the diet we have and here, Krishna just says correct diet because it's also so individual. Many of us need rajas even to keep the energy going. Many of us can't just be eating Sattva until we get to that place where our own vibration is now ready for that flow. So we have to always remember the direction we're heading, not just the goal. If the goal is to be, you know, only in Sattva, well, I'm not just going to get there tomorrow by waking up in the morning. I'm going to have to step here and then here and then here and then here and then here. And I need to know some of us might be here and the, the, the journey is different and some of us might be here and the journey is slightly different. No one's better or worse, only how aware are you of your own realities. And so that's where diet comes in as well, just to know how much energy of mine is being used just to break stuff down in my own, in my system, and how much of it is available. And that lightening of the sattva energy, which is fruits and nuts and, you know, lightly cooked food. And just how much of that then, once finished, is allowed to easily rise up and as he says then even through food the yogi offers his energy into that fire of the upward flow all above seekers and now he's bringing this concept to the close all above seekers understand that the meaning of self-offering or yajna that that inner fire in which consumes that inner fire which consumes all the seeds of karma and so he's finally closing it into that that fire into which you're offering these things, that's where your karmic seeds are being roasted. So until and unless we don't create. And so this, this fire has to be strong. And what is our fire is our prana is the urja is that energy and where we put that energy because as dispersed that energy is, it has no burning power. It has no ability to really roast those seeds of karma the more we bring it into a clear focus and offer it in a clear channel towards a very clear goal, whatever that goal may mean to you, whether it's unity with the divine or whether it's greater success or whether it's, you know, uh, more prosperity, no matter what your goal is, you're not going to achieve it. Your karma will not align with that goal until and unless all that energy, all that fire, is being channeled and offered in clear uh, direction and purpose. So let's stay, stop there. Let's find our own particular um, direction and purpose for this week. Perhaps Narayani has some thoughts that she's picked up on for us to kind of work throughout this coming week.
1: Well, it seems that according to Krishna, this is not according to us. OK, let's that be clear, according to Krishna, the act of offering, it's almost like a technique in itself. It's like, if you don't offer something to the guru, to God, to a divine, you know, mission, whatever that might be, um, we may miss (laughs) the point because it's so easy for us to offer and do the self-offering of those things that we don't like or those things that we want to get rid (laughs) of. We are so readily, you know, to give and offer those things away as quickly as we can. But what we are trying to offer here is that ego that Krishna says. And sometimes, That act of offering some part of yourself can bring you in perfect harmony with the divine and especially with your own guru in moments of difficulty on the spiritual path. A disciple once asked Yogananda, he was having serious troubles to meditate he was very restless he couldn't go deep i mean for months he was struggling with you know meditating on a regular basis so he went to Yogananda and openly told him master i'm i'm just sorry but i can't meditate it's just becoming a huge effort for me i have tried this this that i don't seem to go anywhere and Yogananda gave this beautiful answer he said oh don't worry about that right now i know you are struggling with this karma serve my work and i'll meditate for you isn't this beautiful because sometimes we cannot keep up with the practices that we want to follow and there are periods that we can keep up with all the practices but when karma steps in there will be moments that we will struggle with meditation we will struggle to keep our attitude joyful we will struggle to be kind to people and so to offer something to your guru's work to you know to the divine it can really the divine god will help you in those areas that you are struggling with. So I would say at the end of every day, ask yourself what I have offered today to God. Not just what I have done to myself, but what I, I have offered to Him. One of the things that is helping me very much and of course some of us have been practicing for years is to just do a little prayer before each activity. That helps to what Krishna was saying to detach ourselves from that activity or from that self-identification of i need this i want that i'm hungry especially before meals we have noticed no matter how busy we are how hungry we are the moment the food comes or the moment we put that meal there before we jump into the plate we just stop detach to ourselves from that feeling and just pray you know heavenly father Infuse this food with your healing light. This food is yours. It comes from you and it will go back to you. It's a wonderful feeling. In fact, when you take the spoon and you start eating, that feeling of hunger gets reduced. Imagine if we enter each activity of our day with that attitude. i know because i have experienced in my life the more i pray before i start a new endeavor the center i remain the centered and less attached not only to the results of those actions but i remain a little bit distant from that activity itself so i would say as a homework you may want to start praying before you take your shower (laughs) before you make your breakfast before you step out of your house before you make that first phone call at work before you interact with your children respond
0: to that email
1: (laughs) respond to that email or whatsapp that suddenly came and just explode right there on your face and train yourself to respond to each situation with a prayer. Prayer really will create that protection and will give you that moment of pause, like, wait, before I do anything, wait, (laughs) let, you know, detach myself from the situation and 20 seconds later, let me come back to it and you will see what a huge difference that creates in your consciousness. So if we can, let's start introducing more prayer into our daily lives. Create your own prayer as simple as you want. Lord, help me in this. Bring your presence into this situation. It's up to you. Be creative, but try and see and you'll see the results.